I want to pick up where we left off last week in Colossians chapter 1 and uh, we're going to, we, we, we kind of touched on the beginning of verse 12 last week and so we're going to actually pick up there in verse 12 and as you see we're going to make up a lot of ground this week by covering verses 13 and 14 along with verse 12 and uh, it's, of course it's been a long-standing joke um, that you know this is going to take us a lot more than 10 sermons, that was my original goal we're halfway through chapter 1, and we're on sermon 5, so we're probably not going to get through Colossians in 10 sermons, but that's okay. That is okay. The reality is we turn our attention to Colossians 1 this morning is God has done great things in the lives, lives of the Colossian believers. And Paul has acknowledged that. We were looking at this last week. And Paul is praying that God would continue to be at work in their lives. They have not arrived. They haven't made it. There's still work to be done. And Paul is praying for the Colossians that God would continue to work. And specifically, we saw last week, he prayed that they would know God more, that they would better know his will, and that in spiritual wisdom and understanding, they would be able to apply what they know of God and his will. And all of this would result in continued growth for the Colossian believers. In other words, we talk about growth, we're talking about this reality of, of Christian maturity, right? The Word of God says that, that this is, ought to be the goal, right? To present all believers mature in Christ. And so when we talk about growing, and we talk about Paul's desire for the Colossians to continue to grow, that is saying that they're growing in, in maturity. They're, they're growing in their spiritual wisdom, their spiritual understanding, uh, their ability to apply spiritual things into the circumstances and occasions of their lives. They're growing to be more like Christ. And again, this morning, I want to start with where we finished last week, with this call to thankfulness in the life of the believer. We said last week that as Paul walked through there, and there were some things that he was praying God would do, that as, as believers patiently endured suffering and trials, they could do so with joy and thankfulness is what Paul said. And he talked a little bit about why the believer could have thankfulness and, and really why the believer should have thankfulness. In fact, we can make the argument this morning that we are commanded to have thankfulness as a part of our lives. We are commanded to have a thankful disposition, right? And now, again, last week we didn't fully unpack this, but we did look at what Paul had to say about this reality of thankfulness and the work that God was doing in Colossae. Um, this morning, I want to combine that with what he has to say in verses 13 and 14. And so I want to start our reading of our text this morning in verse 12. And I'm just going to read, again, we read 12 last week, but I want to read it again this morning. And I'm going to read verses 13 and 14 as well. And so Paul, verse 12, picks up in the middle of a thought, which we've touched on this. But he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God has enacted four realities in the Colossian believers' lives. Again, if we go back and include verse 12 from last week. And these four realities will serve as a, a just a, an absolute marvelous transition by Paul where he goes from talking about um, what God has done, thanking God, uh, praying that God would continue to work in the life of the Colossians. And then we're going to start to look at next week this big focus that Paul will turn his attention to that is Jesus. 
This is commonly referred to beginning in verse 15 as a, 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 the great hymn of Christ by Paul in Colossians. It's a, a Christological hymn. And what that means is it's, a, it's kind of a, a song, a hymn, right? And Christ is the focus. And so we'll begin unpacking that next week. But, but this morning, these four realities that, that Paul is touching on, going back to thankfulness last week, and three we'll see today, is they're going to serve as a, a transition, Okay, and, and so what we're seeing here with these things is, is Paul is focusing on the work that the Father has done. It's a short summary, if you will. And the work that the Father has done is summarized as the gospel. And this is what we've already seen Paul allude to in writing here to the Colossians. In its simplest form, we could submit this morning that the gospel has two parts. It's simplest form, two parts, both, both, excuse me, addressed by Paul here. The SV commentary on Colossians defines these two parts as number one, God's work in Christ, and number two, his work transforming human experience. This is a summary, very succinct uh, reality of the gospel. It's the work of God that transforms the human life. The gospel applied to the human life results in transformation. Okay? When the gospel is believed, the result is growth. It's, it's change. Right? And so another way to put this is God is the one who saves you. God is the one who saves anyone. And if God has, in fact, saved you, you know it because your life reflects it. The idea of having been saved by God according to the gospel is so much more than just a mere intellectual understanding. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a bit of information that we take and we program into our hard drives and now we have an intellectual understanding that we previously did not have. No, Paul is writing here and talking about this reality that, that God has saved you. If God has saved you, then your life reflects it. This is this transformation. This is this changing of the human experience according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing what Paul says in verse 12 about the individual who has believed this gospel. And that number one, positionally, right away, you don't see this. You can't quantify this. But Paul says in verse 12, and he talks about having thankful hearts, thank, giving thanks to the Father because... He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, believers share in what Christ has accomplished as joint heirs with him. He is a sibling. He is, a, he is like a, a brother, okay? The father has an inheritance, and he has given it to the son, and those who believe in the son share in that inheritance. Now, again, can you see that? Can you touch that? The moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, the moment you believe the gospel, you are qualified to share in the inheritance with Jesus. Can't touch it. You can't see it. Someday you will. Okay? But this is nonetheless just an absolute astounding work of God. To think that people such as ourselves, and we're going to look at this, unpack this in just a minute, that people such as you and I, and let's be honest this morning, we're really not that great. And I'm not trying to like beat anybody up, okay? 
the word of God would teach that we're sinful, we're separated from God because of sin, that there's not really a lot of good stuff within us, that we're born with a disposition towards evil and towards wickedness, right? And that God, through Christ, by believing in Christ, we become qualified in spite of those things because we're given the righteousness of Christ, so we're no longer looked at as unrighteous. We're viewed as righteous in Christ. We're now qualified to share with the inheritance of Christ. Now, I know this might not really seem like that significant of a thing. Because like I've said, you can't touch it. You can't reach out and grab it. You really can't quantify it. I cannot overstate for you the magnificence of the fact that you get to stand in the presence of Jesus because of the grace and mercy of the Father to give his son Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. And in short, we could stop there. God has given everything that we need, and he has redeemed those who believe because of the, the faith or the belief in what God has given. And now we are uniquely qualified. Uniquely because this is the only way you become qualified. You cannot be qualified to share in the inheritance of Christ any other way. Okay, You share in the inheritance of Christ, qualified to do so because God is gracious and merciful and gave his son Jesus, rendering salvation, or as we'll see in a few minutes, redemption possible. And so you and I can be joyful. We can endure patiently in, in trials, as Paul would say here, looking back to last week with joy and thankful hearts to God because when the deteriorating world that we live in crumbles around us, it is and it will, the word of God would teach us that we have an unfading, untouchable, unstained, untarnished inheritance in Christ awaiting those who love him. And for that, brothers and sisters, we can be thankful. And so Paul prays for this joyful endurance on the part of the Colossians. He roots their joy, going back to verse 12. He roots their thankfulness in what God has accomplished in their lives through Christ. And so first I want you to see what God has done in the first part of verse 13. Paul writing, he says, He, referring to God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Is what God has done. He has delivered those in Christ from the domain of darkness. And so Paul begins here in verse 13 by referring back to the previous verse to supply the individual of interest or the subject. Subject or person of interest is the Father. This work of delivering from the domain of darkness is a work of the Father first in delivering believers from this domain of darkness. All right, God, and again, in his grace and in his mercy, he has delivered believers. This is the first part of his work here this morning. And I want to be honest with you, because sometimes, maybe you're like me, when you think about phrases like the domain of darkness, it kind of sometimes seems like a fanciful thing, doesn't it? Ooh, right? Go goblins and scary stuff, and I want to be very careful to, 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 to clarify this morning that when we talk about the domain of darkness, it is not a reference to Halloween. 
It is not a reference to the things that come with Halloween and, and the scary stuff that we often associate with Halloween. I want you to understand something. When we talk about the domain of darkness, God's word would teach us that there is literally waging in this very moment, as sure as I stand here and you sit there, a cosmic battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil for your soul. The devil in everything in him wants nothing more than your demise and your destruction. And the reality of God's word is that that's right where you are without Christ. You are stuck in the clutches of the evil one existing within the domain of darkness. You can't always see it. You can't always touch it. But brothers and sisters, it's real and it's there. There is a realm of evil and wickedness that everyone apart from Christ belongs to. You understand that? Even good people, even ones who try hard, even ones who've never committed a crime, belong. Apart from Christ, you belong to the domain of darkness. Paul is not talking here about something fanciful. He's talking about something actual. Consider the words of Jesus in John chapter 3 where he's interacting with Nicodemus. Beginning in verse 19 of John 3, Jesus says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Ugh. That's like a punch in the gut, isn't it? Evil exists in the world because people are evil and they desire evil things. And they don't want anything to do with the light because the light exposes that which is in the darkness. And if what's in the darkness is exposed, now I'm accountable for it. That's how we work in our minds. And so we don't want accountability. We don't want fellowship. We want to stay away. We want to be at arm's length. And we want to continue to exist in this, this realm or this world that we live in because we don't want to be exposed. Guys, this is a real influence of evil and darkness in the world that we live in. Paul speaks to this reality elsewhere. Ephesians 6, for example, he says we don't... We don't battle with flesh and blood, but rather we battle with the principalities, the power that is at work in the air, right? That's the devil, the evil one. But Paul, given his testimony of conversion to Christ in Acts chapter 26 before King Agrippa, he says this in verse 15 as he's recounting his conversion on the road to Damascus. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So now Paul is recounting before the king what he heard firsthand from Jesus. Paul, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles that they might come to understand light and that they might live in light as opposed to darkness and that they might live for God as opposed to the evil one. What does, what does Christ call Paul to do here as we see 
Paul recounting his testimony before Agrippa to lead the people to turn from darkness to light. To leave the realm of the power of Satan and enter into the realm of the power of God. There is absolutely a spirit of darkness that exists and has major influence in this world. And the biblical answer for this domain, you don't hear me say anything else this morning. Hear me say this. The biblical answer when it pertains to individuals belonging to the domain of darkness is this. You must be delivered from it. One foot in, one foot out. I'm okay. I'm not fully in the domain of darkness. Yes, you are. There's no such thing as one foot in and one foot out. You know, going back to verse 12, Paul doesn't say, he kind of saved you and is preparing you, qualified you for part of an inheritance. No, Paul is teaching the Colossians that God has brought them out of the domain of darkness, and that is part of what has qualified them to receive the inheritance. You must be delivered from the domain of darkness. The word deliver in the biblical context means to rescue from danger, to save, rescue, preserve. You must be delivered from the domain of darkness. You must be rescued from the danger. In the domain of darkness, you, you live at odds with God, needing to be rescued. But in Christ, you've been rescued from the danger of this domain of darkness. And I want to ask you this morning, maybe you would say, yes, I, I have been rescued, right? I don't belong to the domain of darkness. I want to ask you, and this is something maybe, maybe like, let's be honest. There's enough of you here this morning that I am not naive enough to think that all of you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As sure as we are sitting here, some of you this morning are still a part of the domain of darkness. I don't know who that is. I don't know, you know, I can't, I don't have anybody in mind. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying, you put this many people in a room, there is no way everybody in here truly, genuinely knows Jesus Christ. This is just a reality statistically, right? And so we talk about this reality, but I just want to say, number one, I want to make sure you know if you have not been delivered from the domain of darkness, but I also want to make sure that you know if you would say that you have been. There was and is nothing you can do about your standing or situation in the domain of darkness. You cannot rescue yourself. You are floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. There are no boats. There are no life preservers. You are doomed. I don't want to be grotesque, but everybody knows what happens to somebody who's floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. They don't make it out. They don't make it out. In a similar way to an individual floating in the ocean with no ability to save themselves, those who belong to the domain of darkness can do nothing in and of themselves to change that. The Jews, for example, going back to the Old Testament, they could do nothing to rescue themselves from the oppression of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. They were stuck under the oppressive rule of a tyrant king, and they could do nothing to change it. We, if you're familiar with the book of Exodus, you know that God, 
raises up Moses, send Moses back, and God brings the people out of Egypt. So it is with those who belong to the domain of darkness. You can't get out on your own. You can't rescue yourself from the oppression of this domain. But God has done something. God has delivered those who believe in Christ from this kingdom, from this domain of darkness. And having been delivered, believers are now to live under the influence of the light. And I just want to be honest this morning. I want to be frank. I, I want to be candid. Far too many professing believers live under the influence of the darkness more than they do the light. We, we profess to know, but yet our lives look more like darkness than they do light. And I want to encourage you this morning because I really believe that the, the, the answer for this is simple. The Bible would tell us, and Jesus talking with Nicodemus in John 3 would say, it's because we love the darkness. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if you're, if you're working through something, you're struggling with something in your life, and maybe you've got a, maybe there's a sin issue, there's something that's, it's, it's kind of hanging over there that you're working through, you're battling with. I'm not saying that means that you're not saved. You absolutely can't have a relationship with God. I'm not suggesting that at all, okay? But these things are seasons that, that when we draw near to God and he draws near to us, we come out of. You know, if, you've been, if, you, if you would say, hey, I've been saved for 20 years, and for 20 years, I've always had these same issues, and I've always struggled under these same weights, and I've always, I've, I've always X, Y, Z, A, B, C, kind of looking like the domain of darkness. And I say, okay, well, why? Well, let's talk about maybe why that is. Because part of being delivered from the darkness is understanding the reality of the darkness. And understanding what God has done in Christ and giving you a desire to, to pursue light more than darkness. James would tell us, we recently started studying in our growth group, that sin, you know where sin begins? In our wretched hearts. It doesn't start with someone else. Nobody made us do it, not the devil or anyone else. Sin is born in our hearts. And a lot of professing believers lack the, the, the evidence or the, the manifestation of the light because they like darkness. Because we desire the things of the world. But the dilemma here is that Paul says those who are in Christ have been delivered. You're out of. You're rescued from this domain. I'm a firm believer today that the church as a whole, not Dale Bible Church alone, but the church has lost its appeal to so many in the world that we live in because while she professes to be in the light and professes to be of the light, so often she looks more like darkness than she does light. The lost world doesn't need a church that looks like the lost world. The lost world, those who belong to the domain of darkness, need to see and hear from those who belong in the kingdom of the light. And so this is part of the equation, right? Where we see this, Paul has been talking about what we believe being fleshed out in, in how we live. We say we're light, but are we? If you truly have a relationship with Christ, our lives should reflect light rather than darkness. 
absolutely should reflect light rather than darkness because in Christ the Father has delivered believers from the domain of darkness. God has delivered believers out and the very reality of coming out of something is that you must be transferred into something else. Right? When you get up in a few minutes and you walk out of, y'all are in trouble. I just looked up and realized the clock fell down. <laughs> when you walk out of that door, you will leave the sanctuary. And by way of leaving the sanctuary, you will enter the foyer. You cannot enter the foyer and stay in the sanctuary. Much like when you came in, you could not enter the sanctuary and stay in the foyer. So it is when you're removed from the domain of darkness, you are transferred into the kingdom of God. This is the second part of verse 13. He's delivered us and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. There is a major contrast between where people were prior to being transferred and where they are after they are transferred. And the greatest difference coming from and going to is the influence or the power that is running the kingdom to which you now belong. You know, inherently when you come inherently when you come from the kingdom or you're delivered from the domain of darkness and you enter into the kingdom of sun, you open your eyes, things don't look different. People aren't going to treat you any different. People aren't necessarily going to act different, right? Like, you're still going to get up and go to work tomorrow or go to school tomorrow, whatever your responsibilities may be on a Monday morning. But there's a reality that the kingdom that you now belong to is being governed by someone. And prior to being delivered, that kingdom was governed by the devil. And following being delivered, when you're transferred, the kingdom is governed by the Son. Born-again believers in Christ belong to Christ. And in one belonging to Christ, one having been brought into the light, ought to live as one who is in the light. I can't overstate the, the significance of this. If we say we belong to Jesus, then we should live lives. We should aspire to live lives that are worthy, right? This is what he said, going back, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He says, fully pleasing to him, right? Christ taught his disciples, probably familiar with, that the followers of Christ are to be salt and light in the world. Salt is a preservative, right? So we're preserving the things of God, the word of God, we're living it out, we're manifesting it as the light, and Christ calls his followers to be salt and light really for a reason that is simple. Because if we belong to the kingdom of light, then that light should shine brightly. How else, how else does the darkness get dealt with? Again, let's make this very simple. When you go home at night and it's dark outside, if your lights are off, it's dark in your house. And you walk into a room and you can't see anything. And, and how do you deal with the darkness? You bring light into the room. In our case, it's simple. You just flip the light switch. Or maybe y'all got a clapper. I don't know. You bring the lights on, the room becomes illuminated. The darkness has been dealt with by the light. You don't deal with the darkness with more darkness, right? And, and y'all ever been in a situation where you lose power and you go to get your flashlight and your kids have ran off with it? 
Or worse, you go to get the flashlight, it's where it goes, you grab it, you hit the button, and it doesn't come on. Your, your, your situation hasn't changed. You're still at the mercy of the dark. You might be holding a flashlight, but it doesn't work for whatever reason. It's not illuminating your path. You don't deal with darkness with darkness. You deal with darkness with light. Nobody in the context in which Jesus would have been speaking when he spoke some of these things and Paul when he's writing these things, nobody in this context, they didn't have electricity. They lit a room with a, with a lantern. Nobody would light a lamp or a lantern to illuminate a room and then put a basket on top of it. Obviously, we know why. Because you wouldn't be able to see. The light would not radiate. The room would not become illuminated. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ this morning, we, you and I, are called to be light. We have been transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the sun. We are to radiate the truth of Jesus Christ. That God in his grace and in his mercy gave Jesus Christ. That we might be delivered from the domain of darkness. We've been transferred by God to a, a new reality. We stated earlier about the domain of darkness not just being a fanciful thing, but a reality. It was just a truth that we really believe. That there was a reality that if you're, you're sitting here this morning and you're in Christ, do you truly understand the, the realities of what God's word would teach about prior to Christ, you belonged to the devil. You were his minion, if you will. You were to advance his purposes and his cause. Why do you think, if you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ, I want to ask you, shortly after you trust, don't anybody answer, just think about this. Shortly after you trusted Christ, did you feel like it became, life got harder or easier? Most of us will probably say harder. Because when you made that profession of faith in Christ, and you were delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the sun. And that moment, you no longer belong to the devil. And so it's kind of, again, it seems fanciful and you can't see it, you know, but it's almost like in those moments, then the devil begins to ratchet up the tension. Oh yeah? They think they want to follow God? They think they want to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins? Well, I'll show them just how hard it is to follow Jesus. And this is one of the biggest reasons that I'm absolutely against this idea of just pray a prayer and say you believe in Jesus. Because if you don't really believe in Jesus and it gets difficult, guess what happens? You walk away. How many warnings do we see in the word of God for those who profess faith in Christ to persevere? to finish their course. We've been talking this morning in our men's study downstairs this morning's topic was perseverance. And the picture that he gave was so many people, when they make this profession of faith in Christ, they begin a sprint. And they run for 100 meters and then they peter out. They run for 200 meters and then they peter out. Some people even run for 400 meters and then they peter out. And he says, but the ones who finish the race are not the sprinters. It's the faithful plotters. That's what our Kent Hughes says in Disciplines of a Godly Man. Faithful plotting. 
oompa, oompa. In a lot of ways, guys, that's the Christian life. And not that it's a thing, but it's a day-by-day, step-by-step, moment-by-moment reality where we are growing in our understanding of the fact that we were once belonging to a domain of darkness, and by God's grace and mercy, we have been transferred into the kingdom of his Son, and we draw near to God through his word, through fellowship, through accountability, through prayer, and, and we last we run the race we finish the course we shine brightly and if we understand we've been delivered we ought to do everything in our power to radiate this light because the world that we live in desperately needs it and if we jump back up to verse 7 in Paul's writing he talks about where the Colossians learned the gospel from Epaphras our fellow brother and faithful servant. Paul's writing to the Colossians about their position in Christ, having been transferred from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his beloved son because Epaphras told them about Jesus. Somebody told them. And that somebody lived in such a way that these Gentile believers in Colossae thought, You know, there just might be something to what he's saying. And so he expounds on this gospel. This is what God has done in Christ, and this is what God does when you believe it. And so Paul uses Epaphras as an example. Epaphras didn't come to know the truth of Jesus and keep it to himself. Epaphras didn't come to know the truth of Jesus and sit on it. He proclaimed it. He shined as a light. He shared the truth that all people, all people in their original state are separated from God, belonging in the domain of darkness. This is what Epaphras told the Colossians. And I want to make sure that you understand this morning that you either do still belong to the domain of darkness or you have been delivered from it by the grace of God through faith in Christ. And that's it. And I don't want to be crass this morning, but if you're sitting here and you think, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you mean by this, you know, trust in Christ and salvation and the gospel, there's a good chance that that means that you probably still belong to the domain of darkness. Now, I'm not the discerner of hearts, but if, if, we, if we don't have an understanding of how it is that we come from a place where we're all a part of, Every one of us is born belonging to the domain of darkness. And the only way out of it is Christ. And so if we're here this morning and, and, and you say, I don't really understand. What do you mean this gospel? What do you believe in Jesus? Believe on Jesus for what? What did Jesus do? If you're asking these kinds of questions, number one, I want to say this. Praise God. Because you can't be saved until you realize you need to be. All right? And I'm a firm believer that one of the greatest detriments to the church today is people ask these kinds of questions, but they never ask them audibly. They wonder them to themselves, they consider, they think on some of these things, and they never act upon them. And oftentimes that means that they still belong to the domain of darkness. But this is what Epaphras proclaimed. 
separated from God, belonging to the evil one, needing to be reconciled to God, needing to be delivered, rescued from the domain of the darkness. And look what happened when Epaphras lived as the light. The people in Colossae believed what he said. They believed about this domain of darkness, and they believed about Jesus being the rescue from that domain. And then their lives were actually demonstrating, they were shining as a light that they believed in the one who had delivered them. It's no small thing for believers in Christ to reflect the light of Christ, because as we've alluded to, God has done something amazing and transferring anyone who believes in Christ from one kingdom to another. In our sinful state, you and I could never enter into the kingdom of God. Never. So we had to be forgiven of our sin. We had to be redeemed. And that's exactly what Paul says God did in verse 14. You are uniquely qualified to share in the inheritance of Jesus because God has delivered you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son when he redeemed you from your sin and he, or when he redeemed you and forgave you of your sin. God does the redeeming. But Paul's tone shifts. He has delivered. He has transferred. His beloved son His son in whom we, in whom we have redemption. It's not just at this point about what God has done, the delivering, the transferring, the redemption and forgiveness that the believers now possess. It is the believer who's been redeemed. The one who was afar off from God and had no claim or hope to the goodness of God could do nothing to save themselves or, or rescue themselves from their, their situation. They're the ones who have been the recipient of God's grace and mercy in Christ. And they now live in the domain of the Son. This idea of redemption is to say that we've been bought back. I'm from the state of Michigan where when you go into the store and you buy a bottle of soda, you have to pay an extra 10 cents. There's a 10 cent deposit on a can, bottle, anything. But in Michigan, you don't throw them away. You don't even just recycle them. You put them in a bag because when you get a big bag, you take them back to the store and you redeem them. And you get money for redeeming them. You, the, the store buys back the plastic bottles and then they recycle them and use them. God has bought back sinful people through Christ. We have been, in Christ, redeemed. We were the empty plastic bottle that was no good for anything. And we've been redeemed and bought back by God. We were made by God for the glory of God. But because of the presence of sin, we could not manifest the glory of God. We could not manifest his grace and his mercy. We could not manifest his goodness to the world. So God gave his son, Jesus Christ, that he might live a life that was perfect. It was without what stained you and I, sin. His life was free from sin, and in his life that was lived free from sin, 
It was so heinous that, that sinful people would think he would be sinless. They killed him for it. And I trust by now we're familiar with what transpired. He hung on the cross, and the last thing that he said was, It is finished. God, Father, what needed to be done to redeem sinful people from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light is finished. And three days later, God would demonstrate to the onlooking world that it was finished. That the task had been completed. That redemption was now possible. Because when the disciples, Mary first, went to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, it was gone. Death had been defeated. The grave was overwhelmed. Victory had been won. Redemption was now possible. Every single time a person believes what I just said, that I'm separated from God, but I've been bought back by Jesus. Every single time a person believes that by faith, God, through the shed blood of Christ, redeems or buys back the one who has believed in him. And he places them into the domain of light, the kingdom of the Son. You see, in Christ, we have been freed from the power of the sin that enslaved us in the past. In the domain of darkness, we're just slaves to sin. But we have been freed from the slavery of sin, and we have been brought into the kingdom of light. Believers have been rescued, moved from one domain to another, and now live under a different authority. The scene here I want to share with you in closing is something I believe we can all envision. I'm going to tell you guys a little quick story. When Aaron and I were roommates in Bible college, uh, you weren't allowed to watch movies. And um, one day we we were watching a movie about, (laughs) one day we were watching a movie. Okay, I'm just going to tell you real quick how we got caught. Aaron had driven my car, and he didn't turn the key all the way off, and our RA came home, and my dash lights were on, so he'd come and knock down the door, and you know how that is, right? Hold on! <laughs> you know, like, of course the RA knows, right? So he comes in, and we have this conversation, but anyways, here's what happens. So we, not only are we watching a movie, but we're watching a movie, I won't tell you the name, about a mercenary who frees some missionaries from Burmese pythons. You got these Burmese pirates, Right? And uh, I said pythons, I meant pirates. And so you got this mercenary, he goes in there and, and, and he frees them. And so this is the scene you guys can envision. Not me and Aaron breaking the rules of Bible college, but the mercenary freeing the people. These missionaries are in a position where they can't do anything. They are literally held hostage by people with massive weapons and massive manpower, and they can't do anything to change their circumstances. They cannot free themselves. But here comes the hero. He would come in, and he would save the ones who could not save themselves. Whether you've seen that movie or not, you've seen movies like it. And I don't want to reduce what God has accomplished in Christ, but that's exactly what has happened. You and I could do nothing to save ourselves. We were completely held against our will and and held in bondage 
to the evil one. But God in Christ gave us a hero. He sent Christ in to redeem people. He laid down his life. He was the the payment. But what I want to say about this illustration of a movie is in every one of these movies or TV shows where a hero comes in and saves people out of helpless circumstances, what happens? What do they do? They love the hero. They love the hero and they cherish the hero and they want to, man, let me tell you about this guy that saved my life. Let me tell you about this guy. I was in this situation and I couldn't do anything about it and it was hopeless. All hope was gone. I thought I was doomed, but I was saved by someone. We all can see this picture. The joy and the adoration for the one who saved them. The desire to tell everyone and anyone about the one who saved them. They had been transferred from one setting to another. They once belonged in a state of helplessness they could do nothing about and they no longer did. And so it is with the believer. And may those who know that they have been rescued live in such a way that the world around them would come to know about the one who rescued them. For those who have not yet been rescued, may today be the day where you come to know. Where you first realize you need to be rescued. If you've not been rescued, you need to be rescued. And may today be the day that that rescue happens. That you are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son because you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this is the only way that you get transferred from one kingdom to the other. By believing that God has accomplished all that he said he would in Christ. And the evidence of believing is that you trust Christ for your salvation. You see, evidence is what we evaluate to make a determination on a matter. May each of us ask God to search our hearts today and reveal the evidence of our lives to answer the question at hand today. Have we been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the glorious truth today that you, on behalf of sinners and for your glory, sacrificed your son in order that those who believe might be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Father, what a truth it is to know that we share in the glorious inheritance of Jesus. And so help us today, God, to evaluate the evidence of our lives to look at the the facts that are presented and determine, God, whether they are works of darkness or works of light. God, convict us of things that we need to be convicted of. Call us to, God, put off sin and to put on righteousness. Help us, God, to fix our eyes upon Jesus and pursue him and to live for his glory. And, uh, God, we pray that you would be glorified as this happens. I just pray for the one this morning who may be wrestling, maybe trying to think through some of what they've heard this morning and considering this reality of needing to be rescued and Jesus being the only one who's qualified to rescue. Um, God, I pray that if questions would exist this morning, God, that you would bring about a spirit of courage where some of those questions could be asked and ultimately, God, where some of these questions could be answered. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace and mercy in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.